0: Hello and welcome back to The Adventures of Lola Badiola. In the last chapter, Lola realized that she needed to be better protected from her enemies. So she contacted a brilliant lawyer and an old friend, Gonzalo Garrido. Let's find out more about
1: their past relationship. Here we go. The Adventures of Lola Badiola. Chapter 26. Gonzalo Garrido. Lola attended the Lycée Francais in Arturo Soria, Madrid. She was a quiet, hard-working student who liked to remain anonymous. The only place where she let her emotions run free was on the volleyball court. She was extremely competitive and captained her team to the district finals two years in a row. It was at the Lycée that Lola met Gonzalo Garrido. She was 17 years old. He was 18. She was young, pretty and innocent. He was mature, wise and on his way to Harvard. They fell deeply in love and although they attended university in different continents, they spoke on the telephone almost every day. They were soulmates, childhood sweethearts, and one day they were going to get married. But time passes, people change, and Lola grew up. After almost five years with Gonzalo, she ended the relationship. It happened on a Sunday afternoon while they were walking around the galleries of the Museo del Prado. Gonzalo had started working in Madrid, and he wanted her to move into his apartment. Lola suddenly felt claustrophobic. It was as if the great portraits by Titian, Raphael and El Greco were all staring at her, judging her, and reminding her that she was just a little girl pretending to be a woman. At the time it was the most difficult decision of her life. There was no specific reason. There was nothing he had done wrong. She still loved him, but it wasn't what she wanted. She was only twenty-three years old, and she didn't want the story of her life already written. Gonzalo was distraught. He felt like he'd been widowed. He seemed to pass slowly through the five stages of grief. At first, he was in denial, convinced that it was just a temporary pause in the relationship. He thought and dreamt about her all the time. Then he became filled with wrath. After all, he was an overachiever and his pride had been wounded. Then he tried to bargain with her. He would send her flowers, write her letters in an attempt to charm her back into his life. Eventually, he fell into a state of mild depression. He decided that the best way forward was to ghost her, disconnect from her on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, and dedicate himself to his career. He worked 100-hour weeks at Ordangarri and Mendoza, Many people saw this as a sign of avarice and ambition, but in reality it was his way of coping with the loss of the love of his life. Lola sat silently in the taxi looking down at the name of Gonzalo Garrido on her smartphone. For ten minutes she reminisced about their time together. It was a bittersweet sensation. A message from the office popped up on the screen asking her what time she would be back. She ignored it pressed the call button of her phone and waited for Gonzalo to answer. Once, twice, three times it rang. A part of her was desperate for him to answer. Another part hoped that he wouldn't. Four, five, six times it rang. She started to doubt herself. This was a bad idea. Seven, eight... On the ninth ring, he answered. Lola? Lola? His voice hadn't changed. It was clear and deep. Hello, Gonzalo. Do you have a moment? There was a long pause, and then, in a professional and courteous tone, he replied, Yes, of course. Forty-five minutes later, Lola arrived at Gonzalo's offices in Vallecas, in the south of Madrid. He had some space in his diary, so he suggested that she drive directly to his office. It was not the shiny corporate skyscraper that she had imagined. Instead, it was a humble shopfront in one of the poorer districts of Madrid. Gonzalo had quit Urdangari and Mendoza three months earlier to start his own boutique law firm with a couple of friends. He wanted to focus on startups, social impact businesses, and charities. His firm had recently become the European representative of the Centre of Humane Technology, an organisation that campaigned against the negative elements of social media, such as trolling, spamming and behaviour manipulation by big tech companies. He was waiting for her at the entrance as her taxi arrived. He was dressed informally, in a tight-fitting jumper, designer jeans and Reebok trainers. He was in good shape, his skin was tanned, his hair was long... "'and the dark rings around his eyes had disappeared. "'He opened the door to her taxi after it stopped. "'It's really good to see you again,' he said with a smile, "'as he kissed her on both cheeks. "'It was the kind of greeting you would expect from an old friend, "'warm and genuine. "'Gonzalo exuded contentment. "'He was clearly in a good place in his life. "'Would you follow me?' he said, "'as he led her into his office.' He introduced her to his partners and then took her to a meeting room at the back of the building. Everything smelt of fresh paint. He offered her a coffee and motioned for her to sit down. Then he took out his notebook and a fountain pen and started asking her questions. He treated Lola just like another potential client in need of legal advice. There was no mention of the past, no chat about mutual friends no catching up on each other's lives. He was interested in her predicament from a purely professional perspective.
0: Okay, I think that Gonzalo Garrido is going to play a very important role in both Lola's personal and professional life in the short term, if not beyond that. But let's now focus on some vocabulary. We have some really interesting words and expressions to discuss. Here is the first one. Listen carefully.
1: Lola attended the Lycée Francais in Arturo Soria, Madrid. She was a quiet, hard-working student who liked to remain anonymous. Hard-working
0: is a very common adjective used to describe somebody who is diligent and effective at their job. So if you said, for example, that somebody was a very hardworking manager, then that's a very complimentary thing to say, particularly in their review. But be careful when you're using this compound adjective. Make sure you say hard working and not hard worker. Hard worker is the noun, she's a hard worker, and hardworking is the adjective. She's a hard-working manager. Okay, here's some more interesting vocabulary.
1: They fell deeply in love, and although they attended university in different continents, they spoke on the telephone almost every day. They were soulmates, childhood sweethearts, and one day they were going to get married. A soulmate.
0: Well, this implies the strongest kind of bond that you can have with another person. It's almost as if you can only feel complete once you have found your soulmate. Some people even say that the two souls are meant to unite when they meet. So who is your soulmate? Have you found them yet? And what about your childhood sweetheart? In other words, your first love the person that you had your first serious relationship with when you were young, probably at secondary school. A person that will always hold a special place in your heart. Soulmate and childhood sweetheart. Important words and important concepts. And here's another one. Listen to this section again.
1: Gonzalo was distraught. He felt like he'd been widowed, he seemed to pass slowly through the five stages of grief.
0: Have you ever heard of the five stages of grief? Well, it was a model that was developed by a psychiatrist called Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And it became famous after the publication of her book on death and dying in 1969. So she was really focused on people who were suffering from terminal illness illnesses and they were facing their own death and she observed the psychological processes they went through. But more recently the five stages of grief now apply to anything deeply important in your life that you lose. It's generally someone but it could also be something as well. So here are the five stages that many people go through when they experience loss. So the first stage is denial. So people often carry on as if nothing has happened. They don't allow themselves to have any kind of emotional reaction. They are literally in denial. The second stage is anger. And that's a completely natural emotion when you lose something that's very important to you. It can seem cruel. It can seem unfair. And it's quite natural to feel angry about it. The third stage is called bargaining. So this is when you ask yourself many what-if questions. You wish that you could go back in time. What if I had done things differently? What if we had done this or that? So you try to bargain with the past. You bargain with the universe Consider how things might be different if you'd acted differently. The fourth stage of grief is depression, long term sadness. And this is, of course, the emotion that we most commonly associate with grief. Before finally reach the fifth stage, which is acceptance. So, gradually, most people find that the pain eases. And it is possible to accept what has happened. And they may never get over the the death of somebody or the ending of a really deep and meaningful relationship. But they can learn to live again. We have this human capacity to recover. So there you go. The five stages of grief. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance.
1: Okay, let's move on. Have a listen to this sentence again. He thought and dreamt about her all the time. Then he became filled with wrath. After all, he was an overachiever and his pride had been wounded.
0: Now, have you heard of the seven deadly sins? These are classifications of different forms of immoral, unethical, bad behavior. Can you name the seven deadly sins? I mean, when I think about the seven deadly sins, I could probably name about four or five of them, and then I always get stuck, and I can't remember the final two. So let's go through them one by one. And actually, some of these words are quite old-fashioned, antiquated words, so I'll give you the synonyms. But they were first described by Pope Gregory the I in the 6th century. And here they are. Here are the seven deadly sins. So, number one. Pride. Number two. Greed. Number three. Lust. Number four. Envy. Number five. Gluttony. Number six, wrath. You heard that uh, word in the previous sentence that you listened to from the story. And wrath is a kind of old-fashioned way of saying anger, but like epic anger. And number seven is sloth. Another word for sloth would be laziness. So there you go, the seven deadly sins. And they have been a popular theme in art and literature for many centuries. More recently, there was a film called Seven, starring Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt, where a serial killer uses the seven deadly sins as an inspiration for his murders. It is a very dark and depressing film, but quite brilliant as well. So I would recommend it only if you are in the right mood. And even more recently, the seven deadly sins have been attached to the most popular social media platforms and applications. It's almost as if the major social media platforms have been designed to exploit some of the worst sides of our character. They've been designed to satisfy our sinful behavior Let's take a social media platform and let's see what kind of a sinful behavior this satisfies. Well, let's start off with Twitter. Twitter exploits our anger. And if you've ever spent any time on Twitter, you'll see people being very, very angry with each other. They'll be attacking each other personally. They'll be verbally abusing each other in a way that they would never do in real life. So Twitter taps into the anger that lurks within us. Okay, secondly, Facebook. Which of the seven deadly sins could you connect with Facebook? Well, the most obvious one would be envy. What do people do on Facebook? They show you the best parts of their lives. You only see the highlights, and those highlights make you feel envious. And what about Instagram? Well, Instagram is associated with excessive pride in yourself and what you do and what you own. It's associated with vanity. How many selfies do you find on Instagram? How many filters do people use on Instagram to make those selfies look even more attractive? Instagram is designed to tap in to the vainest parts of our psyche. And that brings us to LinkedIn. Well, according to this theory, LinkedIn allows us to express our inherent greed. Connecting in order to be more productive, to make more money, to make more profits. And therefore, it satisfies our greed. Okay, what's left? Well, we have Tinder for our lust. We have Just Eat, Deliveroo for our gluttony. And last but not least, we have Netflix for our sloth or our laziness. So the argument goes that these recent technological innovations these new applications and social media platforms are really tapping into and exploiting the worst parts of our human psyche. And this is not a good thing for us as individuals and it's not a good thing for society as a whole. What do you think about this argument? Okay, let's move on to another expression, but it's still related to technology. Have a listen to this again
1: he decided that the best way forward was to ghost her, disconnect from her on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, and dedicate himself to his career.
0: To ghost somebody. This is when a person cuts off all communication with a friend or with another person with zero warning, without any notice beforehand. So it's somebody that you have been interacting with probably on a regular basis... Maybe even you have a romantic connection with this person or maybe even a business connection with them and suddenly that all stops. You act as if they don't exist. You don't acknowledge any of their messages and you certainly don't answer them. That is ghosting. Here are two more important terms related to technology. Listen to this.
1: His firm had recently become the European representative of the Centre of Humane Technology, an organization that campaigned against the negative elements of social media, such as trolling, spamming, and behavior manipulation by big tech companies.
0: Trolling, well, that's the deliberate act of making controversial comments on social media platforms. And the idea here is that you provoke an emotional reaction from the person who's posting, or maybe the other people who are looking at the interaction between you and the person posting. And basically, you you just want to get into a fight. You want to get into an argument because that's something that uh, gives you significance. These are people who simply enjoy annoying other people. And I'm sure you know the kind of person that I'm talking about. Social media platforms amplify the voices of these trolls. And why is that? Well, firstly, a troll can operate anonymously and with impunity. And secondly, the algorithms of the social media platform amplify their controversial statements. For example, if somebody attacks me personally on LinkedIn and I then respond to that attack by defending myself and maybe somebody else steps in, to defend me as well, then the algorithm places this discussion right at the very top of my page because the algorithm concludes that this is an interesting discussion. So, con- controversial statements and aggressive interactions generally tend to get more exposure. So, social media platforms are the natural habitat of malicious trolls. And I don't think that Facebook, Twitter and even LinkedIn are doing enough to hunt these people down and eradicate them from their platforms. Okay, we also heard the word spamming. I think we know what that is. We've all been spammed. This is where you receive unsolicited messages from companies or people who are trying to sell us their products Or convince us to do something. Now we all know it's incredibly annoying and I think that there have been policies and regulations put in place to reduce the amount of spamming that goes on in the world but it still occurs. You know when was the last time you had to go down to the bottom of an email and hit the unsubscribe button? Probably very recently and that's because spamming remains economically viable. Advertisers have literally no operating costs beyond the management of their mailing lists when they engage in spamming. You can reach hundreds of thousands of people, if not more, and it really doesn't cost anything. Okay, in the final section of today's class,
1: we are going to focus on a couple of phrasal verbs. Here's the first one. A message from the office popped up on the screen asking her what time she would be back. To pop up,
0: that means to appear or happen, especially suddenly or unexpectedly. Where did you pop up from? Or my friend keeps popping up everywhere. In fact, where we live, in my community, there's a guy called John. And he pops up everywhere. It's quite incredible. Every time I go out shopping, or I go out for a drink, or I go and play paddle, John's always there. He's always popping up. In fact, he has a nickname. His nickname is Omnipresent John, and he's 76 years old. I hope I'm as active as he is when I'm his age. I hope that I'm popping up everywhere. Now, when we use this phrasal verb in a more technological context then we're talking about a new window that opens quickly on a computer screen and it normally opens up in front of what you're working on so for example in our interactive business english platform we will organize little quizzes and there will be a screen that pops up in front of all the students They have to answer a few questions, send it back to us. We then aggregate the results and we see which questions people are getting right and which ones they're getting wrong. And we help them overcome their common mistakes. So when they're interacting with us, there'll be pop-up screens that they can then use to communicate with us and to answer our questions. We find that very, very useful indeed. Okay, here's our second phrasal verb. Listen carefully.
1: He treated Lola just like another potential client in need of legal advice. There was no mention of the past, no chat about mutual friends, no catching up on each other's lives. To catch up.
0: Okay, so there's a literal meaning for this um, phrasal verb. And then there's also the use that is very common in business situations, particularly when we're talking about relationships with other people. So to catch up, if somebody is ahead of you and you are trying to reach the same level as them, then what you need to do is to catch up. You need to move faster than they're moving to get up to the same level as them. You need to catch up with them. Okay, so that's the sort of literal definition of catch up with an example. But we would use it in a business situation or even a personal situation when we haven't seen somebody for a long time. And there is information about them that's missing. We don't have all the latest news. So we want to catch up with them. We want to catch up with their latest news. So for example, you might say, let's go for a coffee. I need to catch up on all the gossip. And in the case of Lola and Gonzalo, there is no catching up. They are just keeping the conversation about the current situation. And that is because they have history. That is because when they were younger, they thought that they were soulmates. They thought that they were childhood sweethearts. So their past is complicated. And therefore, they're sticking to the present. And that brings us to the end of today's session. If you would like to improve your business English in a more formal manner, you can join me in our live and interactive online platform. Just search Club Grattan on Google and you will find us. And make sure you join us for the next episode of The Adventures of Lola Badiola. Until then, keep bringing English into your life and remember, every time you log on to a social media site, be it Twitter, Facebook or Instagram, you are satisfying one of the seven deadly sins that exist within your soul.